Well, brothers and sisters, this morning I feel is a very, very important message. So I hope we would all have exercised spirits, turned hearts, and this meeting would be filled with an atmosphere of prayer uh, so that the Lord can speak to us. Uh, Anyway, what we want to talk about this morning, you can see the title, is Taking the Lead to Be Patterns and to Love the Lord with the First Love. Now, saints, when we talk about taking the lead, we shouldn't have a wrong concept that we're taking the lead in an organizational sense, that we're taking the lead by being above others. Actually, we're taking the lead to be the Lord's slaves. Paul said in Romans 1.1, he was a slave of Christ Jesus. And we are not just slaves of Christ Jesus, we are slaves to the saints. In Luke 22.27, the Lord said this, he said, I am in your midst as one who serves. So brothers and sisters, right now the Lord is in our midst and he wants to serve us. Will you let him serve you this morning? He wants to serve us with His presence. He wants to serve us with His divine dispensing. He wants to serve us with His divine speaking. He wants to serve us with His wonderful, glorious person. And we want to open our whole being to Him to allow Him to serve us and minister Himself into us. Then we can be one with Him to serve others with His presence and with His riches. You see this? So he is in our midst as one who serves. And we need to be willing to be a slave to the saints. This is what it means to take the lead. To be willing to be a slave to the saints. To humble ourselves under the saints. Now also, saints, to take the lead means that we are the Lord's disciples. How many disciples are in this room this morning? Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Okay, very good. <laughs> I don't just want raise hands. I like to hear amens. We are the Lord's disciples. That means, that means we are His learners. We are always learning. We're learning Christ in revelation. We're learning Christ in experience, both. We're learning about Him by seeing more of Him. We're learning about Him by enjoying more of Him. Express... Uh, uh, experiencing more of Him, enjoying more of Him, and expressing more of Him. In uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine, He told us to learn from Him, to learn from Him. In Ephesians four twenty, Paul talked about learning Christ as the truth is in Jesus. That means we need to learn Christ subjectively in our experience. The the phrase the truth is in Jesus means the actual condition of the human living of Jesus recorded in the four Gospels. So we are learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus. We are becoming the duplication of that God-man living in the four Gospels. And we learn Christ by enjoying Christ, by eating Christ. This is the way we learn Christ. When you... When you uh, you know, when you learn a certain food, you don't just study the food, right? Uh, Michael, what's your favorite food? Pasta. Pasta or pizza? 
Pasta and pizza. Which one you like better? How do you learn pasta? By eating. Praise the Lord. By eating. That's right. You don't study the pasta, right? And you probably don't even know a lot of the ingredients in the pasta. Do you know the chemical substance of pasta? Somewhat. But not a lot. Oh, you study nutrition. Oh, my. Well, I didn't study nutrition. But I can enjoy and learn pasta. And I want to go to Rome to learn pasta. (laughs) So we're learning Christ in the same way, by eating Him as our spiritual food, by drinking Him as our spiritual drink, and by seeing a new, fresh revelation, all and an expanding revelation of His glorious person. So we're His slaves, we're His disciples, we're not taking the Lord we're not taking the lordship over people we are taking the lead to be his slaves to be his disciples and brothers and sisters I would say the last thing we are taking the lead to be little children little children in Matthew 18:3 I wrote these verses down Matthew 18:3 and Matthew 19:14 the Lord said unless you turn and become like little children you can by no means enter into the kingdom of the heavens. That means we need to be like little children to enter into the reality of the kingdom and to enter into the manifestation of the kingdom in the next age. The Lord said this. He, put a, he took a little child and He said, Of such is the kingdom of the heavens. So we all need to be little children in this meeting. I don't want to be a, a, an adult. Uh, you know, an adult, quote, quote, who knows everything, right? I want to be a little child able to receive new thoughts from the triune God. Able to see new things of Christ. Able to be infused with His new thoughts. So, I just say this in the way of introduction uh, to this message. I hope we would all be little children to see more of Him, to experience more of Him, to enjoy more of Him, and to express more of Him. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral 1. And Roman numeral 1 says we need to take the lead to be patterns as elders and responsible ones. Now you, you may say, I'm not an elder. But all of us are responsible ones. We are all responsible for the testimony of Jesus. Every believer is a responsible one in this sense. Right? Because we are all responsible for that lampstand coming into being and shining out in this dark world. Shining out with a sevenfold intensified spirit as the oil in this darkness and in this dark world. We are responsible for the testimony of Jesus. So we are all responsible ones. Uh, we saw yesterday, we all want to be His overcoming messengers. These are responsible ones. Now, let's look at the patterns uh, in the Bible uh, very briefly in Roman numeral 1, we have A through I. I'd like to go through these points. The first pattern, of course, is the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord, the Lord Jesus lives in our spirit. Amen. And He's our pattern. He's our pattern. He's our living pattern. And He is a pattern of enjoying the Father. He enjoyed the Father as the richest grace, we saw this yesterday, and as the sweetest love, To live because of the Father for the Father's glory. And we saw that in Isaiah 7.14, you have a prophecy of Christ 
that a virgin would bear a child, that that child's name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then in Isaiah 7.15, it talks about this God-man's human living. It says, according to uh, the new translation we will have, it says, He will eat butter and honey all the days of his life until he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And, and butter signifies the richest grace. Honey signifies the sweetest love. So, how did the Lord live? He lived because of the Father. He actually enjoyed the Father's supplying element as the richest grace and the sweetest love so that He could live because of the Father. Isn't that wonderful? I tell you, I, don't, I can't get away from this point. I know I have to go on. But saints, I want to enjoy heavenly butter and honey every day. The richest grace and the sweetest love gives us the power to choose the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God and to reject everything else. Everything other than the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God is evil. So we want to reject the evil. We want to choose the good will of God by enjoying the richest grace and the sweetest love of the Father. So... Uh, the Lord Jesus was a pattern of enjoying the Father as the richest grace and the sweetest love to live because of the Father for the Father's glory. Now, if you look at John 6.57, don't take this verse for granted. It says, as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father. For the Lord to say, I live because of the Father, means that He was living because of the Father's richest grace and sweetest love. Do you see this? He lived because of the Father. He lived because of that heavenly butter and that heavenly honey. The richest grace and the sweetest love. It, it's, it doesn't say, I live by the Father. It says, I live because of the Father. Now, by the Father is not a wrong translation. But the best translation is because of the Father. If I have a cane, let's say I have a cane up here. I can say I walk by the cane. But I don't say I walk because of the cane. For, for you to, for you to, for you to, I don't say I live because of the cane. For you to live because of something means that that something becomes your supplying factor and your energizing element. So when the Lord lived because of the Father, that richest grace and sweetest love was his supplying factor and his energizing element. And then he says, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. So we need to eat him every day as our spiritual food, and then we will live because of him as our energizing element and as our supplying factor. I think uh, I think most of us had breakfast this morning. I don't know if you did or not. Uh, if you didn't, I might be able to tell in an hour. Uh, or even maybe a half hour. But when you eat breakfast, you live because of that breakfast, right? That breakfast becomes your energizing element, your supplying factor. In the same way, we need to eat Jesus every day. Eat Him every day by eating His words. 
The words that He speaks to us, they are spirit and they are life. Okay, so the Lord Jesus is a pattern of enjoying the Father, and we need to enjoy the Lord in the same way. Now, in John 5.19, the Lord said this. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing from Himself except what He sees the Father doing. For whatever that one does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Whatever that one does, these things the Son also does in like manner. That means He didn't do anything out of Himself. We need to be, when we're one with this person, we don't do anything out of ourselves. We do everything out of Him. Then in John 4.34, He said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Saints, our food is to do the will of the Father is to do the will of the Father. There are, there are a number of ways we can eat the Lord Jesus. We eat the Lord Jesus by eating His words, by pray-reading His words. We also eat Him by doing the will of the Father. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. So our spiritual food is to do the will of the Father. And I would say this, the place of God's perfect will for us is the place of our spiritual food. If you are in the place of God's will for you, you are in the place of God's spiritual food for you. Isn't this our, isn't this our experience? I don't know how much I, I can apply this, but if you're in... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm looking at those from Italy here in front of me. Uh, Michael, you're in Italy. That's the place where God wants you. That's where your spiritual food is, right? In Rome. You are enjoying Christ as your spiritual food because God's perfect will for you is to be in Rome. Isn't it? It's not to be in Canada. If you were in Canada, you would not be enjoying the Lord as much as you are now in Rome. Is this true? I believe it. I believe it. Okay. So, again, the place of God's perfect will for us is the place of God's spiritual food. Now, uh, the Lord goes on in John 17, 4. He says, I have glorified you on the earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. Finishing the work which you have given me to do. Now, one, part, one great part of the work which the Lord finished was the work of redemption on the cross. But here, the Lord says, I have glorified you on the earth, finishing the work which you have given me to do. This was before the cross. Before the cross, which means the work that the Father gave him to do was to live the life of a God-man for God's expression. So we need to enjoy God to the uttermost so that we can live a life of a God-man for God's expression. This is to glorify the Father on the earth, to take the Lord Jesus as our pattern. Now, uh, I won't read these other verses. I've got all these verses listed out here because they're so precious, I would encourage you to read them later. But he didn't speak his own words. He spoke the Father's words. He didn't do his own work. He did the Father's work. He didn't seek his own will or do his own will. He did the Father's will. He didn't seek his own glory. He sought the Father's glory. This is the person who lives in us. This person lives in us. He doesn't speak his own words. 
He speaks the Father's words. He does the Father's work. He seeks the Father's glory. And everything that comes out of Him is the Father. Nothing is out of Himself. This is the person who lives in us. Now again, in Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, He says, I am in your midst as one who serves. And then He said this in Matthew twenty twenty-six through 28 He said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Saints, always remember, there is one in you who didn't come to be served, but to serve. But to serve. So, the saints that are the most happy in the church life are the ones who are enjoying the Lord and the ones who are serving others. They're the most happy. The ones who, you know, the ones who say, oh, why why don't the saints care for me anymore? Why don't the saints, uh, you know, I shared that story before. Uh, uh, a number of times I shared that story when I first came in the church life. Uh, every, it seemed like everybody invited me to their house for, for dinner. Everybody said, Ed, come over to my house. Come over to my house. That might be why I'm so big right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> so I ate in, in a lot of saints' homes. But then I got married, and I started pitying myself inside. And I said, why don't the saints invite me over anymore? What's wrong? And, and the Lord kind of rebuked me and said, you're not a baby anymore. Why don't you have the saints over? Why don't you start having the saints over? And so when Ruth and I first got married, we didn't even have any chairs. And so I said, amen, Lord. And so I went out and bought some chairs from Sears. I don't know if they have Sears here. Sears is a department store. Anyway, uh, we went out and bought chairs from Sears. And we had the saints over. And Ruthie told me, and I didn't realize this. She said, Ed, you don't realize that you invited the saints. Every night that wasn't a meeting night, you invited the saints over. And so I was cooking every night. <laughs> I feel my wife, that my wife became one of the best cooks in the church life that way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, now we come to B. The Lord Jesus charged us to learn from Him, taking Him as our pattern and being constrained by the Father's will and abounding in the work of carrying out the Father's will. The Lord says this, Come to Me, all you who toil and are burdened. Saints, if you are toiling, if you feel you're toiling right now, if you feel you're burdened right now, you know what the Lord's saying to you? Come to Me. Come to Me, all you who toil and are burdened. And I, I personally will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, what is the Father's yoke? I'm sorry, what is the yoke that the Lord put on Himself? The yoke is the Father's will. And he says, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. In other words, when you are in the Father's will, that is something that is easy for you. If it's not easy, it means you've got the wrong yoke on you. Have you ever been, have you ever been serving and you feel, oh, this is so hard, this is so difficult, what a strain this is. You have to, you have to stop and say, do I have, am I performing the Father's will. Because His yoke is easy. 
And the burden there is the work to carry out the Father's will. And the work to carry out the Father's will is light. So when you are in the Father's will, His yoke is easy. When you are in the work to carry out the Father's will, His burden is light. So we need to check ourselves with these things as we're serving the Lord. Now Ephesians 4, 20-21, we mentioned this. We need to learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is a marvelous verse. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now let's read C all together, brothers and sisters. So Paul was a pattern to all the believers. First Timothy 1:16 tells us that he was a pattern to those who are to be, those who were to believe on Christ unto eternal life. So the Lord set Paul up as a pattern to all of us believers. And what did Paul do? He lived Christ for Christ's magnification by being filled with the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's pray right now. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Oh, the Lord loves to hear a simple prayer like that. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. He'll answer a prayer like that. Then you get filled with the Spirit. Then spontaneously, you live Christ for His magnification according to Paul's pattern. Now, Paul charged Timothy to be a pattern to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And he said, let no one despise your youth, but be a pattern to the believers in word. Christ should be your word. Christ should be your conduct. Christ should be your love. Christ should be your faith. Christ should be your purity. Timothy became a pattern to the believers just as Paul was. In Philippians chapter 2, 20-21, Paul said that the only one he had that was like sold with him was Timothy. Timothy had the same soul as Paul. He said, because all seek their own things, not the things of Christ Jesus. So Timothy was a person who sought the things of Christ Jesus. And the things of Christ Jesus are the things concerning the church with all the saints. Now, I would say this at, a, at this point, brothers and sisters. I, I want you all to pray a simple... You don't have to pray this right now. But when you go home sometime today, just pray this simple prayer. Lord, burden me for your body. Lord, burden me for your body. I tell you, I still remember Brother Lee saying that. If you pray this prayer, the Lord will make you a very useful member in the body of Christ and a channel of supply to the body of Christ. Pray this prayer. Lord, burden me for your body. Then you become a pattern to the believers as a channel of supply. Okay, he says, Paul said that we should be imitators of God as beloved children. In Matthew 5.48, it says, You therefore shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, what does that mean? That means we need to be perfect in the Father's love. 
And how can we be perfect in the Father's love? It's because we have the Father's perfect life. We have the highest demand in Matthew 5-7, through but we have the highest supply to meet that highest demand. We have the Father's highest life, so we can have the highest living. And so we should be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, F says, Paul says that we should be imitators of him as he was of Christ. Now, saints, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 6 is, is, a, is a very powerful, very powerful verses. Because Paul said this, he said, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And then listen to what he says here. He says, even as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You see, that's, that's a pattern. What kind of men were we among you for your sake? They observed how Paul was. And so that became a pattern to them. I'm so glad that there are so many patterns in the church life. Aren't you? You know, before I, when I was an unbeliever, there was this older brother who taught at my college who was a pattern to me. And, and him being a pattern had a lot to do with me getting saved. Had a lot to do with me getting saved. You know, uh, I shared my testimony, uh, you know, before. Forgive me if I share a little bit of it again. But uh, I took this course. It was at a, I was at a secular college. It was called Life and Teachings of Jesus. And uh, one of my best friends, he was in the school of business, he said, Ed, don't take this course. This is the only B I ever made. He made straight A's. He said, this is a very difficult course. And so I said, well, I don't care. I want to take it. I'm interested in it. I like to find out about the life and teachings of Jesus. Obviously, the spirit was brooding over me. And so uh, I went to this class, and this professor was so brilliant. He was a professor emeritus. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He was a former president of two universities. And at the beginning of the class, he said, I want to let you know that I'm a believer in Christ. And I have to let you know this because when I teach, uh, my, my view of being a believer in Christ can't help but come out in my teaching. And so that just blew me away. I said, how could someone this brilliant believe in Christ? I thought that was an oxymoron, you know, a Christian, intelligent, that doesn't mix, right? You have to be, if you're a Christian, I thought you had to, you were, you were, you know, but here's this brilliant man who was a believer. And um, one time we were having a, a, a class discussion on Matthew 5 through 7. You know, Matthew 5 through 7, it says, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it says a lot of things in there. If, if someone hits you on the right cheek, you turn the other cheek. I mean, who can do that, right? Even if I did this right now, don't worry, I won't demonstrate. You know, even if I did this right now, you would really need the Lord, right? You need another life. Right? If someone, I'm using my own language here, if someone wants to take your suit, give them your shirt too. And so I read this. And we were having a class discussion. There were a lot of Christians in there. I wasn't a Christian. A lot of believers in there. And I said, 
I raised my hand. I said, Dr. Lindquist, I said, it's impossible to live this kind of life. I said, besides, if you, if you did live this kind of life, people would walk all over you. You got to stand up for yourself. That's what I said. And so, uh, all the, all the Christians in the class, they got stirred up. They got, they got upset. I was giving myself five. I was there. Yeah, all right. You know what I mean? I was like Saul of Tarsus on the campus, you know? <laughs> but you know what he said? He didn't, he didn't rebuke me. He didn't adjust me. He said, now wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, Mr. Marks has a good point. And I just, I almost melted. I went, my goodness, I have a good point. He didn't even, he didn't even adjust me. He just said I had a good point. And then, then we had to do a paper. We had to do a paper. We had to explicate a book. And the book I explicated was on, on Luke. On Luke. Uh, anyway, I, I'm trying to give the Reader's Digest version here, a smaller version. Uh, anyway, I wrote on Luke uh, from a biblical text, a non-biblical text. And uh, I said in my paper something like, you know, I wish this could be true, but this is almost like when you go to a film in the afternoon and you're looking at the film and you think it's real and then you go outside and the sun hits your eyes and you realize it wasn't real at all. <laughs> That's how I concluded my paper. And so he put at the end of my paper, very interesting. I went, wow. He thought this was very interesting. Very interesting. And so that touched me so deeply. I was so touched. I was observing him. You see, I was looking at his conduct. His conduct fostered me, led me to repentance eventually. Uh, at, the end of my, at the end of my school year, I went to him for uh, a recommendation for, you know, postgraduate work. And uh, by that time... Uh, I felt like I had really gone downhill, you know. Uh, I was writing articles for the school newspaper, writing somewhat radical articles, you know. I won't tell you what they were. That's B.C., before Christ, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, and I, I, as soon as I walked in his office, I was convicted of my sins. As soon as I walked in. And I sat down, I said, Dr. Lindquist, would you give me a recommendation for what, what, what? And he said, sure, Mr. Marks, I'll be happy to. And I was, I was like, wow, he, he's going to give me a recommendation. You know, I, I thought he wouldn't give me one, you know. And so he said, how are you? How have things been? Then he started talking to me about his family and his children. And uh, eventually I said, I said to him, and I, I, almost, I almost wept. I said, and again, he didn't. You know, it's not like he preached the gospel to me overtly. He preached the gospel to me through his living. You see? I said, Dr. Lindquist, will I ever find what I'm looking for? And he said, don't worry, Mr. Marks, you'll find it. You'll find it. You know, he was a conservative Christian. If it was us, we would have pulled out the mystery of human life. You know what I mean. And that, he didn't have that, you know. He didn't have that. So anyway, he said, don't worry, Mr. Marks, you'll find it. So I moved to Houston. I was in a laundromat. I was doing my laundry. There was a booklet in the back of the laundromat. 
You know what the title of it was? I found it. Can you imagine that? I found it. I said, my goodness, there must be something to this. Because he said, don't worry, Mr. Marks, you'll find it. And I read that booklet, and there were lots of testimonies in that booklet. And, and I, I prayed the prayer in that booklet. And while my clothes were being washed, I got washed in the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? You see, brothers and sisters, in Romans 2, there's a verse that says, The kindness of God is leading you to repentance. You see, it's when the divine attributes come out through our human virtues that that becomes the gospel to people. You know, uh, Brother Kerry Robichaud, he used to have a, a, a quote on his, in his office by Francis of Assisi that said, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. I really like that. Use words if necessary. Of course, we need to use words. But we need to preach the gospel with our living. And, and, and saints, what Paul did with the Thessalonians was he... Listen to this statement. This is, this is I'm quoting from the ministry. He fed his own spiritual children with his living of Christ. That's how he fed the Thessalonians. He fed his own spiritual children... I'm sorry, he fed his spiritual children with his own living of Christ. They saw how he lived as a God-man, and that fed him. That fed them. So in 2 Thessalonians 3.9, he said this. He said, in order that we might give ourselves to you as a pattern that you might imitate us. Then in Philippians 3.17, he said, be imitators together of me, brothers, and observe those who thus walk, even as you have us as a pattern. I'm so glad we have patterns on this earth that we can follow the pattern of those who closely follow the ministry. We can closely follow those who closely follow. Do you get my point? Um, Anyway, I'll just say that much. I I, I tell you this, Brother Lee was, was a real pattern of living the life of a God-man to us. It wasn't just his words in all the books. It was his person. His person was a real pattern to us. A real pattern to us. In so many ways. I, I, I'll just say that much. There's, there's so many things I could say about that. Uh, but he was, he was a real, real pattern. Okay, now we come to... Um, G, it says, the Thessalonians became a pattern to other believers and became imitators of the churches of God. We need to be imitators of the churches of God. You know, lots of churches have their strong points. Are you with me? Like, I'll just tell you, if you go to the church in Spokane, you will see a group of people there that devour the ministry. They just devour the ministry. And you go there and you are stirred up to get into the... Spokane is in Washington, sorry. State of Washington. I'm sorry, I forgot where I was. Spokane, Washington. Okay. Uh, they devour the ministry. So if you, if you go there, you get stirred up to get into the ministry. If you go to Houston, Houston is a church, and I believe it's still like this, its strong point is shepherding. Oh, you get so shepherded when you go to Houston. You walk in the door... Everybody shepherds you. Everybody shepherds you. I, I, 
I still remember being there and inviting people over. I would invite five people over, and then by the time I got home, I had invited ten people over. And Ruth said to me, what am I going to do, Ed? You invited five, and now there's ten. I said, don't worry. I'll just drive through Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's no problem. It's no problem. The saints aren't concerned, so they don't want gourmet food. They want gourmet fellowship. <laughs> you, go to, you go to the church in Taipei, and you see, oh, you see so much of a pattern in Taipei. In, in, oh, my goodness, in so many things. In PSRP, uh, pray, reading, studying, reciting, prophesying. You see a pattern of a group of brothers putting the ministry into practice. Putting the ministry into, into practice. And this is inspiring to us, you see. So we need to be imitators of the churches in a positive sense. In a positive sense. Now, H says, Peter said that Christ left himself as a model so that we may follow in his steps to become his reproduction. And that word model means a writing copy. It means you have, you have a writing copy like this, and you, I'm sorry, you have a writing copy like this, you put another copy on top of it, and then you trace the letters so that your letters are, have the same form as the letters under that writing copy. That's the Greek word for model there, a writing copy or an underwriting. So what this means is we, as the Lord writes himself on our being, we become an actual reproduction of Christ by enjoying him as grace in the midst of our sufferings. Now look at I. I is a remarkable word. It says, John said that even as he is, so also are we in this world. This refers to Christ who lived in this world, a life of God as love, and who is now our life so that we may live the same life of love in this world and be the same as he is. And be the same as he is. You know, in 1 John 3, 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself even as he is pure. And what is this hope? This is a hope of being like the Lord. This is a hope of bearing the likeness of the triune God. And we need, to set, we need to have this hope set on him of bearing the likeness of the triune God. Okay, saints, now we come to Roman numeral 2. And uh, there's a strong burden here. I may have to just read through a number of the points, but I pray even in the reading that you will really get something. And you can take this home with you. You can get into the verses. I pray that you would really treasure this because I treasure this very, very much. Okay, now, uh, Roman numeral 2 talks about loving the Lord with the first love. I want to ask you, do you love the Lord Jesus? Amen. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Amen. Can you say, Lord Jesus, I love you? Lord Jesus, I love you. Praise the Lord. Amen. We are the Lord Jesus, I love you people. And the Lord's recovery is a recovery of loving the Lord Jesus. A recovery of loving the Lord Jesus. Now, in, in Revelation 2.4, the Lord told the church in Ephesus, He says, I have something against you because you have left 
your first love. Well, what now? Now, I really want us to get this, saints. What does it mean to have the first love toward the Lord? In in our concept, in our concept, many times we think the first love for the Lord is the is the love we had for the Lord when we first got saved, when we first got saved, or when we first came in the church life. We we were on a honeymoon. We just loved the Lord so much that I remember when I first got saved. The sky was. We have a we have a hymn in our hymnal. I think it says the sky is bluer. The grass is greener. I just loved. I just loved everyone. Everyone. I noticed the sky for the first time. I noticed the grass. I even loved the pigeons in the park. I really mean it. I even loved my boss, and no one loved my boss. And so uh, I didn't have the term enjoying Christ, but I was on a honeymoon of loving Christ. And so people think to love the Lord with the first love is to. Love the Lord with that initial love we had when we first got saved. Maybe when we first really turned to the Lord. Maybe when we first came in the church life. But now we would say that that is not wrong, but it's not adequate. It's not an adequate definition of what it is to love the Lord with the first love. Because we should love the Lord more today than we ever have in our lives. Right? We should love Him more today. So what is it to love the Lord with the first love? Roman numeral 2 tells us this. To love the Lord with the first love, the best love, is to give the Lord the preeminence, the first place in all things. Being constrained by His love to regard and take Him as everything in our life. So we give Him the first place in all things. We're constrained by His love to regard Him as everything in our life, and to take Him as everything in our life. When we take Him as everything in our life, that is to, love, that is to give Him the preeminence, that is to give Him the first place in all things in our life, and that is to love Him with the first love. Rome numeral 2 is a definition of what it means to love the Lord with the first love. I hope you get this. Again I say, It's to give the Lord the preeminence, the first place in all things, being constrained by His love. We need to pray, Lord, constrain me with Your love to regard and take You as everything in my life. To regard and take You as everything in my life. You know, in Mark 12.30, it says, You shall love the Lord with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, and your whole strength. And you know, Emmy Barber wrote something. I believe it was in her Bible, in the margin. She said, thank you, Lord, that you commanded me to love you. That you commanded me to love you. We need to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Now, Psalm 73, 25 and 26. I hope we treasure these verses, brothers and sisters, where the psalmist says, Whom do I have in heaven but you? And besides you, there is nothing I desire on earth. That is to love the Lord with the first love. Besides you, there's nothing I desire on earth. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. And my portion forever. And of course, Psalm 70, Psalm 80, 17 through 19, we shared these verses yesterday. This talks about the reason for the desolation of the church is not giving the Lord the preeminence. 
not giving the Lord the first place in all things. And to give Him the first place in all things, to regard and take Him as everything in our life, is to love Him with the first love. Saints, let's take Him as everything to us today. Let's take Him as everything in our life today. We only have today. We don't have tomorrow. Let's love Him with the first love. With the best love, right? Okay, now A says, The beginning of love in everyone toward the Lord is a vision of His person. A vision of His person. When you see the Lord, you can't help but love Him. Right? Paul talked about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is by revelation. He said, I count all things to be lost on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He saw a vision of Christ's person, so he fell in love with Christ. That's why every day we need to pray, Lord, give me a new, broader vision of your person so that I can love you more, Lord. Now, the leaving of the first love toward the Lord is the source of and main reason for the failure of the church throughout the ages. Nothing but love can keep us in a proper relationship with the Lord. If we want to have a proper relationship with the Lord, nothing but love can keep us in that proper relationship. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm so burdened about this. I, I'm just, uh, I'm just ready to burst. I don't know what to share first, second, third. Anyway, pray for me. Okay, now in Matthew, in Matthew 26, we know that that woman, she poured out. She had an alabaster flask of ointment. It was very costly. And she poured it out on the Lord's head, right? She poured it out. And the disciples said, why this waste? Why did she waste this ointment? Why did they say that? Because they didn't see the preciousness of the Lord's person. They didn't see how valuable He was, how costly He was. They didn't see His supreme preciousness. But this woman did. So she poured out the most costly thing she had on the Lord. So the Lord said, why do you trouble the woman? She has done a noble deed to me. And then he said, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be told as a memorial of her. And we're still talking about her this morning. Isn't that amazing? So uh, you look at the note. The notes on these are precious. It says, the story of the gospel is that the Lord loved us. This is for our salvation. And that the story of Mary is that she loved the Lord. This is for our consecration. We have to preach both. We have to preach both. The Lord's loving us for our salvation, us loving the Lord for our consecration. We have to preach both when we preach the Gospel. And you know how the note points out how thousands of precious lives heart treasures, high positions, and golden futures have been wasted on the Lord Jesus. Quote, quote, wasted on the Lord Jesus. But actually, this, was not a wa- this is not a waste, but it is a fragrant testimony of His sweetness. Now, when you come to John 12, which is the parallel portion to this, I love this in John 12:3, Because it says, when the woman broke the alabaster flask of ointment, It says the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. I want to say that again. The house was filled 
with the fragrance of the ointment. Saints, when people come to where you're meeting, whether it's in Dusseldorf, Rome, uh, Spokane, Anaheim, Houston, London, uh, wherever, uh, Iceland, wherever people go and you're meeting together, they should, the house where you're meeting, the place where you're meeting should be filled with the fragrance of people loving the Lord Jesus with everything in them. The house should be filled with the fragrance of the ointment of people loving the Lord Jesus absolutely. I love John 12, 3. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. And we need to pray this prayer every day. That the Father would grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit into our inner man. Uh, that Christ could make His home in our hearts. And then it says that you being rooted and grounded in love. You see, when, when we're strengthened into the inner man, we are rooted and grounded in love. And not only that, it goes on to say that we're full of strength to apprehend with all the saints what the breadth, length, height, and depth are. And we can actually know. Listen to this. This is, this is, this is mind-blowing. We can actually know the knowledge-surpassing love of Christ. How can you know something that's knowledge-surpassing? Think about it. But anyway, you can by experience. It's the knowledge-surpassing love of Christ, and you can actually know the knowledge-surpassing love of Christ. This is why every day we need to pray, Father, strengthen me with power through Your Spirit into the inner man so that Christ can make His home in my heart through faith. Then Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in incorruptibility. Grace is God as our enjoyment. The way we enjoy God is by loving Him. We love Him in incorruptibility. We love Him in all the incorruptible things in the book of Ephesians. We love Him in the realm of the new man, in the realm of the body of Christ, in the realm of the, of the church as the wife of Christ, in the realm of the church as the warrior of the triune God. We love Him in incorruptibility. And when you say, Lord Jesus, I love you, let's say that together. Lord Jesus, I love you. Oh, don't you enjoy the Lord when you tell the Lord you love Him? Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in incorruptibility. Saints, you know, um, when Brother Lee got saved, when Brother Lee got saved, he got saved through a sister who loved the Lord Jesus to the uttermost. Let me just tell you this story. Uh, Brother Lee was 19 years old. And this sister, her name was Peace Wong. She was 25 years old. And she was going to speak to a group of about a 1,000 people. A 1,000 people. Now, in mainland China at that time, that was a, that was a rare thing for, for a young woman to speak to a 1,000 people. And so Brother Lee went there mostly out of curiosity to see what she would say. Well, she spoke, and he said that up to that point, he had never heard a message that powerful and with that much authority. And he said, you know why she had so much power and authority? Because she loved the Lord to the uttermost. So, brothers and sisters, our love for the Lord is the basic element, essence, and factor of our being powerful in the gospel. Our love for the Lord perfects us, qualifies, and equips us 
to speak for the Lord. When you love the Lord, you have to speak, you have to speak Him, right? Whatever you love is what you're filled up with. And you have to overflow with Him. I remember when I first got saved and, and I preached the gospel to a colleague of mine. I didn't know you were supposed to preach the gospel. I just had to tell people about Jesus because I was filled with Jesus. I said, Bill, I met Jesus. He said, you met who? I said, I met Jesus. He said, my goodness, Ed, what happened to you? You know. But eventually I preached the gospel to him and he got saved. He got saved. So whatever we love is what we're filled up with. And after that meeting, Brother Lee went home and he consecrated his whole life to the Lord. That's how he began his salvation, with a sister who loved the Lord to the uttermost. And when we love to the Lord to the uttermost, I say, I say again, that's the basic element, essence, and factor of our being powerful. And our loving the Lord to the uttermost qualifies, perfects, and equips us to speak for the Lord. To speak for the Lord. Okay, now we come to B. B says, To love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to repent and do the first works. The first works are works that issue from the first love. Saints, many times we talk about Revelation 2.4, but we don't go on to Revelation 2.5. Revelation 2.4 says, I have something against you, you've left your first love. But Revelation 2.5 says, if you do not repent and do the first works, I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place. Now, what are the first works? According to this, B, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to repent and do the first works. The first works are works that issue from the first love. The first works are works that issue from the first love. In other words, when we regard the Lord as everything in our life, when we take Him as everything in our life, when we, when we're, when we have a fresh zeal of love for the Lord, then everything we do comes out of that first love for the Lord, and that is the first works. You see this? Why do we serve with the young people? It's because we love the Lord. Why did we come to this meeting this morning? Because we love the Lord. Right? That's the first works. We didn't just come here because of duty, right? Mere duty. It's our duty to come to the meetings. But we came here because we love the Lord to the uttermost. Am I right, brothers? Didn't you come here because you love the Lord? Me too. Okay, now, you see, brothers and sisters, if we don't have the first love and we don't have the first works, Eventually what happens is the Lord comes and He removes the lampstand out of its place. That's very serious. That doesn't mean that the church in Ephesus, let's say, stopped meeting as the church in Ephesus. It's just that because they lost the first love, and because they lost the first works that issue out of the first love, the Lord removed the testimony of Jesus from them. They were meeting, but they were meeting as empty assemblies. You follow me? They were meeting as empty assemblies. They didn't have the lampstand. They didn't have the testimony of Jesus. They did not have the corporate expression of the triune God. In every local church, we want the corporate expression of the triune God as the golden lampstand. And if we want that, we have to have the first love and we have to do the first works. 
And saints, at the judgment seat of Christ, it won't be the greatness or volume of our work that is judged by the Lord. Listen, the Lord is not concerned mainly with the quantity of our work. He's concerned with the quality of our labor, the quality of our work. So what the Lord will investigate at the judgment seat of Christ is how much we do is out of our love for Him. How much we do is out of our love for Him. Listen to this. Only those works that are motivated by love are gold, silver, and precious stones. Only those works that are motivated by love are gold, silver, and precious stones. Okay, now under B we have one. One says, in Song of Songs, is everybody with me? I'm on the right point, right? Okay, that means you're with me. Okay, one. In Song of Songs, the Lord's banner over us is love. Isn't that wonderful? There's a banner, an invisible banner in this meeting with one word, love. His banner over us is love, which means that love is our motto. Love is our motto, and everything we do is based on our love for the Lord. Now, what is a motto? I looked up the word motto in the dictionary. A motto is a brief statement used to express a principle, a goal, or an ideal. A brief statement used to express a principle, a goal, or an ideal. Now, what is, what is more simple than love? Right? That is our motto. Love is our motto. You know, uh, Judas Maccabeus, who... Uh, the Lord talks about Judas Maccabeus in uh, the book of Daniel and his warriors, his fellow warriors who defeated Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a type of Antichrist. He defeated him and cleansed the temple. And uh, Judas Maccabeus had a motto. And his motto was this. It is not on the size of the army that victory depends, but strength comes from heaven. I really like that. That's from the truth lessons. If you want to look in the truth lessons, that's where that comes from. Okay, but that's a good motto. But I like the other motto because it's simple. Love. Love is our motto. And everything we do is based on our love for the Lord. Listen, the seeker in Song of Songs is also sick with love. I like to ask you, are you sick with love this morning? Are you just, well... If you're sick with love, that means that you're so joyous in the Lord as love that you love Him to the point of exhaustion. It means that she is joyous in the Lord as love to the point of exhaustion. She's sick with love. Now, love sick. What does it mean to be love sick? To be love sick, listen to this. It means you are so deeply affected by love as to be unable to act normally. That's to be lovesick. And forgive me, you know, for those of you who are single and you're in the training, you have a a, a vow and everything. But those (laughs) those of us who are married can testify that when we were courting, we were so deeply affected by love that we were unable to act normally, right? We were just abnormal. Sometimes, you know, you have a cup of coffee. Instead of putting cream in there, you pick up the ketchup bottle. You know what I mean? Just, oh, praise the Lord. You're lovesick. 
You're lovesick. Song of Songs 2, 4, and 5 says, He brought me into the banqueting house, and His banner over me was love. Now 2 says, God's love in Christ is a banner spreading over us, displaying, exhibiting that we who are loved by God are always more than conquerors. Are always more than conquerors. 3 says, we have a love that conquers everything if we live in His love. 4 says, if we have left our first love to the Lord and do not repent and do the first works, we will lose the testimony of the Lord and the lampstand will be removed from us. Now, I want you to get this next point, brothers and sisters. Don't take this for granted what I'm about to read to you. I'll wait till you turn the page. This says, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to have a personal, affectionate, private, and spiritual relationship with the Lord. Now, I'll say something about personal, affectionate, private, and spiritual. But first, I want to I wanna emphasize this. Brothers and sisters, I want to emphasize this. I'd like to come, if I could, I'd like to come up to you and look you, look you in the eye and talk to you. What about your relationship with the Lord? Now, I underline that. Relationship with the Lord. Relationship with the Lord. What is our relationship with the Lord? You know, all of our problems, we, you say, oh, I've got a problem in school. I've got a problem with my wife. I've got a problem with my husband. I've got a problem with my car. I've got a problem with the kids. I've got a problem with my dog. I've got a problem with this, problem with that. But actually, all our problems are problems in our relationship with the Lord. If there's nothing between you and the Lord, if you're loving Him with the first time, love, and you're regarding Him and taking Him as everything in your life, you don't have any problems. You don't have any problems. You see, and we need to have a personal, affectionate, private, and spiritual relationship with the Lord. You know, saints, we need personal time with the Lord every day. Every day, you need, if you love a person, don't you want personal time with that person? If you love a person, do you like to have people around you all the time? I mean, we need people around us. We need the meetings. Don't get me wrong. But you need a personal relationship with Him. So you put all of our personal relationships together, and then you have the building up of the body of Christ. Now, um, one time we were having an elders training, and this was very exposing. We asked the brothers in groups. We, we told them to go and spend time with the Lord. And a number of them came back to the groups and said they could only spend five minutes with the Lord, and then they ran out of things to say and to open up to the Lord. It was five minutes maximum. Can you imagine that? Now, just think if I was courting Ruth, and it's five minutes, I said, I'll see you, got to go. Oh, my God, I wouldn't be married to her today, right? When you love someone, five minutes isn't enough, is it? Is five minutes enough? It's not enough. Listen, my son is married now. He has a, he has a child. I've got, I've got three grandsons. They're all boys. I've, I can't have girls. Uh, uh, anyway, you know, when, it, when he was courting his wife, he was, I still remember, I was with him at a conference, and he would say, Dad, i got to go. And he would go outside the room, and he would be gone a long time with his cell phone. And I knew what he was doing. He was calling his he was courting his, his future-to-be wife. And he was talking to her for a long time. For a long, I knew what he was doing. 
I'm so glad he had a phone card because she was in Europe at the time. And anyway, he, he, was, he, he had long conversations with her. And uh, this is how we should be with the Lord Jesus. We should have running conversations with Him. We should have hundreds of conversations with Him. Thousands of conversations with Him. And these hundreds and thousands of conversations with the Lord will become an eternal memorial between us and Him. So we need a private relationship with Him, which that, in Song of Songs, that uh, the seeker says, draw me, that's personal, I'm sorry, personal first, draw me, then we will run after you. How do so many people run after, after the Lord? It's because the Lord has drawn you first. Draw me, then the me turns to we. Then we have an affectionate relationship with the Lord. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That's the most affectionate uh, contact you can have with someone. In the, in the, again, this is in the spiritual realm. Then private and spiritual is the king bringing us into his chambers. And the king's chambers is a picture of our regenerated spirit where the king dwells, you see. So when we are in our spirit, we are having a private and spiritual relationship with the Lord. Even right now, we can be in our spirit and have private and spiritual contact with him right in this meeting. Okay, now we come to D. Let's read D all together. So that we may have the tongue of an instructed one to know how to sustain the weary with the word, and so that we may fellowship with God, seeking God's will and pleasure for His gospel service. You see, we want to be his, like His young men to Him, like the dew from the womb of the dawn. That means we get into the womb of the dawn, something fresh of Christ is conceived in our being, and we actually become people who can water Christ by our time with Him in the morning. Isn't that wonderful? And then he gives us the tongue of an instructed, so we know how to sustain the weary with a word. And when we rise up early, we can fellowship with God. We can seek God's will and pleasure for his gospel service. Now, saints, I don't want, I'm jumping, uh, this probably is going to be spoken up ahead, but I don't want anybody to be condemned. Listen, all of us need to spend personal time with the Lord. If you spend five minutes, that's good. Spend ten minutes, that's better. You spend 15 minutes, that's better. 20 minutes, better. 30 minutes, better. Listen, I can show you places in the ministry where all of these, all of these times are spoken of. Brother said one time, it would be marvelous if you could spend 45 minutes with the Lord. Even maybe an hour with the Lord. You see... The point is, we shouldn't be satisfied with our personal time with the Lord. And saints, here, let me tell you this. Don't break that personal time with the Lord. Don't say, you know, sometimes, have you ever done this? You were supposed to wake up at 6 a.m. and you accidentally set the alarm for 6 p.m. I don't know if you ever did that. Well, anyway, I've done stupid things like that. And, you know, the alarm didn't go off 
And then you wake up and you go, oh my goodness. And listen, you should still spend 30 seconds with the Lord. Spend 30 seconds. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I need you. I'm in a hurry. I got to go. Goodbye, Lord. (laughs) Really, really, brother, he shared this with us. Spend time with him. Spend 30 seconds with him. Goodbye, Lord, but not really goodbye. I'm going to spend time with you in the car, Lord. I'm going to spend time with you during the day. I want to, Lord, Lord, give me another time during the day where I could spend personal time with you. When I'm on the elevator, I like to have a personal time with you. The elevator door closes. You go, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I love you. I need you open to you. Ding. Praise the Lord. You're a different person when you get off the elevator, right? Spend that personal time with the Lord. Don't be condemned. And say, Lord, I want more time with you, not for the sake of my spirituality, but for the sake of the brothers and sisters. I enjoy, we enjoy the Lord for others. Ephesians 3, 2 says, the stewardship of the grace of God was given to me for you. Which means we enjoy the Lord for the sake of our brothers and sisters, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now let's read E all together. I would encourage you to read the footnotes in number 6 on these verses because this talks about the Nazarite vow. And with a Nazarite, a Nazarite is separated from natural affection, from his natural man. He's separated from worldly pleasure. He's separated from rebellion. He's separated from death. He's not only separated unto God, he's separated into God. And so when we're separated from our natural man, That means we pray, Lord, I want to live and walk by the Spirit today. When we're separated from worldly pleasure, that means we pray, Lord, I want to enjoy you to the uttermost today. When we're separated from rebellion, that means we say, Lord, I want you to head me up today. When we're separated from death, we say, Lord, protect me from death today. Keep me in life. And I want to be swallowed up by the divine life today. This is to be a Nazarite. And what does a Nazarite do? He blesses people with the divine dispensing of the divine trinity. And so that's the end of number six. Jehovah bless you and keep you. Jehovah make make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Jehovah lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That is the blessing of the divine trinity. Now F says, to love the Lord with the first love, to give him the first place in all things, is to live a life of prayer. In 1 Samuel 12, 23, Samuel said to the children of Israel, he said, Far be it from me that I would sin against Jehovah by ceasing to pray for you. Saints, it's a sin not to pray. And it's a sin not to pray for the saints. Firstly, when we pray, the first thing we have to take care of is getting infused with God. That's number one. Get infused with God. Then out of that infusion 
comes our prayer for the saints. You see this? Comes our prayer for God's economy, our prayer for the saints. I love Matthew 6, 6, 6. It says, but you, when you pray, enter into your private room, your private room, and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. You have these words private. You have these words secret. You see, this is the kind of relationship we should have with the Lord. In Matthew 14, 22 and 23, you know, after the Lord fed the 5,000, you know, what would you do if you had fed 5,000 men? And that's, that's not including the women and the children. We would have just went, wow, what a tremendous thing. Five loaves and two fish. We would have gone with the 12 disciples and, and just reveled in that, right? Can you believe? How did God the Father do that? Five loaves and two fish. We, we just would have remained in the issue of that miracle. But the Lord didn't do that. He compelled the disciples to get up, get in a boat, and He went up to the mountain privately to pray. And if you look at the footnote, it says He did this so that He could have more time to pray privately to the Father. So that He could be one with the Father in whatever He did to establish the kingdom of the heavens. Now, now saints, if the Lord Jesus wanted more time to pray privately to the Father, how much should we want more time to pray privately to the Father? Sometimes with the kids, you have to get them off to school. You have to say, go, get on the bus, get on the bus. So you can say, get more time to pray privately to the Father. You see the point? Maybe with your husband, you have to say, go, get out of here, go to work. Because <laughs> you want more time to pray privately to the Father. Okay, I'll just say that much on that point. Now, Jesus says, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to love, treasure, and muse on God's Word. Saints, do you love the Bible? Amen. Do you treasure the Bible? Amen. And we need to muse on God's Word. That means we worship God with His Word. We converse with ourselves with God's Word. We speak aloud, aloud God's Word to ourselves and to others. It means... We taste God's Word and enjoy it through careful considering. We muse on God's Word. I encourage you to read all of these verses. All of these verses are so priceless, so priceless. I don't have the time to read them. I want to give you time to testimony, to give testimonies. But in Psalm 119, 140, the psalmist says this, Your Word is very pure and your servant loves it. Your word is very pure, and your servant loves it. In verse 48, he says, I will lift up my hand to your commandments, which I love, and I will muse upon your statutes. To lift up your hand to God's word means that you warmly receive it and welcome it and say amen to it. Say amen to it. Okay, I'll just say that much. Now, H, my goodness, I've got to go all the way to... To what? To V. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay. Okay, we'll make it. We'll make it, brother and sister. Okay, I just pray. Look, I'm just going to have time to read this. I could, you, could, you could almost give a conference on each one of these points. Each point is so full and rich. But I'm going to read this. And I just pray the reading would become rhema to you. 
Okay, H, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to be governed by the direct first-hand presence of the Lord. Be governed by His direct first-hand presence. It says, Jehovah spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his companion. When he, when he, when he, uh, yeah, I'm not just reading them. I'm still commenting. Okay, it'll be short. It'll be short comments. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, Praise the Lord. You know, when the children of Israel, when the Lord wanted Moses to lead them, Moses wanted God's presence to go with him. So God promised. He said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. And if you look in verse 16, Moses said, this is what makes us distinct from all the other people on the face of the earth is the fact that we have your presence. This is what makes us distinct. Isn't this true? Okay, now we come to I. To love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to love the church and the church loving Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now we'll come to J. I did a good job. Okay, J. To love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to love the ministry that builds up the church. Amen. Love the ministry that builds... Do you love the ministry? Amen. In 2 Corinthians 8, 5, it says they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us through the will of God. So they consecrated themselves first to the Lord, the Macedonians, and then they gave themselves to the apostles so that they could be one with the apostles for the carrying out of God's economy. This is the love of the ministry. K, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to live and walk by the Spirit, to serve by the Spirit, and to minister the Spirit. Then L, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to take Him as the fountain of living waters. God's intention in His economy is to be the fountain, the source of living waters, to dispense Himself into His chosen people for their satisfaction and enjoyment to produce the church, God's counterpart, as God's increase, God's enlargement, to be God's fullness for His expression. Then M, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to eat Him as the tree of life. And saints, this should be in us all our days until we go to meet the Lord. Eating Christ as the tree of life, that is, enjoying Christ as our life supply, should be the primary matter in the church life. Always remember that. The primary matter in this meeting is for us to eat Christ as the tree of life, for us to enjoy Christ as our life supply. Then end, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to continually come to Him, to contact Him, take Him, receive Him, taste Him, and enjoy Him. Then, oh, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to take Him as our centrality, our holding center, and our universality, our everything. We need to take Him as the center, content, and circumference of our personal universe. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul knew what held the whole physical universe together? 
all the stars, all the galaxies, all the planets, the glue that holds them together is Christ. And in the same way, Christ is our center. He holds together our personal universe. When, he doesn't be, when he's not our center, our personal universe goes into chaos, right? So we need to pray, Lord, I'd like you to be my center. Now, Pete, to love the Lord with the first love, to give him the first place in all things, is to aspire and determine to gain the honor of, being, of pleasing him in all things. Saints, in Hebrews 11, 5 through 6, it says concerning Enoch, and we need to pray this concerning us. It says, before his translation, before he was raptured, he obtained the testimony that he was well-pleasing to God. And we need to pray this, Lord, before I'm taken to you, whether I'm taken alive, whether I'm taken before you come, or, or, or alive, I'm, I'm alive on this earth when you come, I want to obtain the testimony that I am well-pleasing to you. We, we should pray this prayer. Now Q says, To love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to have a clear sky like awesome crystal with God's sapphire throne above it. This means that there is nothing between us and the Lord and that we are filled with the heavenly atmosphere, condition, and situation of His ruling presence, allowing Him to rule and reign within us. Isn't that a wonderful point, saints? Wonderful. Okay, or to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to hold Him as the head, staying intimately connected to Him, and enthroning Him as the ruler and decider of everything in our life. S, to love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things is to ask for the counsel of Jehovah in every detail of our Christian life and work. In Joshua 9.14, the children of Israel were deceived by the Gibeonites, it says, because they did not ask for the counsel of Jehovah. In everything you do, don't be on automatic pilot, if you know what I mean. If you're going to purchase something, seek the counsel of Jehovah. Ask for the counsel of Jehovah in everything in your Christian life and everything in your Christian work. Okay, let's read T all together. To love the Lord with the first love. This is marvelous because the flow comes out of the right side of the house, which is the preeminent side, which means the flow of life should have the preeminence within us. If you look in the book of Revelation, God is, is the light and the Lamb as the lamp. He's sitting on the throne. A river is proceeding out of the throne, and the tree of life grows on both sides of the river. So that's why we say He's the shining one, the redeeming one, the reigning one, the flowing one, and the supplying one within us. Now let's read you all together.
Never let me win. Defeat me all the time. And finally, V says, To love the Lord with the first love, to give Him the first place in all things, is to enthrone Him with our praises. Praise is the highest work carried out by God's children. Psalm 22.3 says, But you are holy. Listen to this. You who sit enthroned upon the praises of Israel. He sits enthroned upon our praises. This is the way we give Him a first place. Then, then in Psalm 119 it says, Seven times a day do I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. We shouldn't let the psalmist beat us in praising the Lord. He praised the Lord seven times a day. We should praise the Lord eight times a day. Then finally it says, I will bless Jehovah at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So this is taking the lead to be patterns and to love the Lord with the first love. Now how about we stand up and say praise the Lord three times. Praise the Lord. Praise.